0: he said, you've got three seconds to take a thought or emotion captive. You've usually got about three seconds where you start to feel something because you can't really control the instant feeling, but you can control what you do with that. As David in the instant moment, he felt that fear. He had a couple seconds where he could have gone a different direction than lying, but he didn't. He just went with what just came naturally He didn't take the thought or the emotion captive. It took him captive and capsized him. David, king to be, has been on the run, hiding from King Saul, knowing it's God's plan for him to be king, and yet continuing to run and to hide. His hiding has taken him to a cave in the wilderness of En Gedi, the same cave that King Saul has just entered in order to relieve himself. Is this the moment for which God has been preparing David? Or is it a hoax? Is it God's timing or just coincidence? David doesn't know it, but he is trying to make decisions in a cave located deep within twilight zone oh boy yeah (laughs) thank you for that (laughs) you ever feel like you're in the twilight zone of God's will Ever have those moments where you're not quite sure what you should do or what you shouldn't do? Ever find yourself trying to interpret the will of God by all the circumstances or coincidences that are happening in your life? Or have you ever got down the road that you thought was God's will and you get down the road far enough and then you start going, wait a minute... I wonder if this was really God's will, or maybe if it was just my will. Maybe I'd forced God's hand a long time ago, and I just kind of went my own direction. It is so easy for us to get stuck in the twilight zone of God's will, trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. How do I get out of that gray area and really find the sweet spot of His will for my life? Because most people, most people will determine either God's will or just however they're going to make some decision for their life based on circumstances that seem to add up real well. It's like maybe you were thinking about selling your house and buying another house. And you and your wife talk about it for a little while and then eventually you're like, yeah, let's, let's think about that. Let's go buy a house. And then you find out that your friends... They're going to sell their house. And you're like, whoa, that's a coincidence. And then you're like, wow, we actually really like their house. That's another coincidence. Wow, that's just crazy. We better go take a walk and talk about this. And so you go take a walk to talk about whether you're going to buy the house or not. And while you're taking a walk, a huge wind gets blown up. And and this, this flyer from the house for sale blows right into your path. And you're like, whoa, it's the same house we were talking about what a coincidence that is. This is amazing. And while you're looking at your cell phone rings and you're like, hello, and it's your friend that are selling the house. And they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, I'm doing good. Whoa, this is crazy. We were just talking about you. This must be God's plan for us to buy your house. Well, sweetie, this is 200,000 more than our house. Well, but that's okay because all the circumstances lined up. This must be God's will. All we'd have to do is like stop tithing and we could afford it. <laughs> or, remember, like maybe college, and you're walking from class to class down the sidewalk and you see her. And you're like, whoa, that's her right there. This is, this is the one for me. She's right here. We're sharing the same sidewalk right now, but I'm pretty sure I want to share the rest of my life with her. This is amazing. And you get into your class and you sit down you got class full of people, but there's one empty seat left in the classroom. And right before the class starts, the door opens and she walks in and sits down next to you. Whoa. Coincidence. We were sharing the sidewalk. Now she's sitting next to me. Wow. That's pretty lucky. And then the professor, he breaks the, the class up into groups for your group project, and she ends up in your group. Whoa. You make a joke, and she laughs at it. And you're like, that's it. Wow, this has to be the will of God. I saw her on the sidewalk. She's sitting next to me in class. We're in the same group. Well, she smiled at my joke. This is, this is the best thing ever. This must mean that she is the one. So we're going to get married tomorrow, and we're going to move in together tonight. You guys, we do that. and Maybe not that extreme, but have you ever found yourself trying to interpret God's will just based on the circumstances or coincidences that start to line up? It's easy for us to do. I'm convinced, though, that God really uses three components. Three components that we need to have in place when you start to try to determine God's will for your life. Because the reality is, circumstances is one of them. God does use some crazy circumstances and coincidences to kind of maybe point you in the beginning direction of His will, sometimes. God also uses your uniqueness to point you in a direction toward His will. God uses the way that He designed you and wired you up. Every single one of you in here is absolutely unique. Like He told the prophet Jeremiah, God said to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were even born, I set you apart. Just the thought that every single one of you in here, before you were even formed in the womb, God knew you. He was crafting you. He was designing you for a specific purpose of His. So God's not going to design you uniquely and then not want to use you. And so a big part of God's will is just figuring out how you were made and what experiences you have and all those sorts of things. Circumstances God's going to use to point you to the direction of God's will. Your uniqueness He's going to use to point you in the direction of His will. But The third and I think the most crucial component in deciding whether or not something is the will of God, is this. God's word and God's principles. There's a lot of people that go through life and they only focus on the circumstances and the situations. They only focus on the coincidences and they go, well, that must be where I should go. That must be God's will. Or they go, well, I really like this. I'm really strongly feeling about this in a certain way. So I'm just going to go with my feeling and go with my heart, go with my talent, go with my ability. I'm just going to go that direction. But still, apart from God's will, God's word, God's principles. But when you take the principles and the word of God and you let those filter in this just waterfall over circumstances and your uniqueness... You guys, this becomes like a lethal combination for finding the sweet spot of God's will and getting you out of the twilight zone of God's will. When you can combine circumstances and uniqueness and most importantly the word of God and the principles of God, it's very hard to be out of God's will. We're going to look at a story in the life of David tonight. And this is a pretty cool story. As we're continuing the series, Hide and Seek, there's those moments in David's life where he is full on for God, doing incredible with him, and then there's moments where he's so far off, it's scary, it's embarrassing. Last week was one of the off weeks. Last week was a week where David was trying to figure out God's will, figure out what he should do. He was stuck in the twilight zone, but he went with his natural impulses in that moment, trying to figure out what the right thing to do was. And his natural impulses, based on his circumstances and how he was wired up, and in opposition to God's word, took him in the wrong direction. He ignored the God's word and God's principle part that says, you're not supposed to lie to people, you're supposed to be honest with people. And he just went with knee-jerk, oh, this is what feels right to me. And it had devastating consequences, not just for him, mostly for other people. And as this story continues, we're picking it up in 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel 24. Just a handful of books into the, your Bible there. 1 Samuel chapter 24, right at the beginning. If you're not real familiar with the story of David, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, really, there is a king of Israel named Saul. He's a pretty wicked king. And David has risen to a position of popularity and fame amongst the people of Israel. And uh, because of that fame and popularity that David's starting to get, King Saul gets pretty jealous and irritated. And so he sets off to find David and go kill him, just to pull him out of the picture. God has already told David that he is going to be king someday he's also given David this little tidbit of information through Jonathan that the enemies that are going to come against him someday, that God's going to handle those. And there will be a moment where David's enemies are just going to be laid at his feet. And so uh, this is where we jump in as David has continued to run. First Samuel chapter 24. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told... David is in the desert of Engedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave." David's taken off into this wilderness area that is incredibly rocky, and there were already naturally formed caves in the area that wild sheep and goats would hang out in. But then shepherds had gone in and made some of the existing caves even bigger. They took some of the other rocks and made the caves really huge, and so they were pretty deep, and they would be used to give shade to the livestock that were passing through. David is trying to escape from Saul and hide from him. They head out into this wilderness area. They find a good patch where there's some pretty deep, big caves, and they go way back inside of one. Meanwhile, Saul gets word that David's out in that area somewhere and starts to look for him. And as Saul and his men are cruising through trying to find David, coincidence number one happens. Saul is walking down the same ravine that is around the same caves that David and some of his men are hiding in. Coincidence number two, Saul has to relieve himself right as they're passing the area that David and his men are hiding in. Now there's some arguments, some scholars, before you think this is like potty humor in the Bible, there's some scholars that think that that phrase, relieve himself, does mean that he had to go to the bathroom. Most of the scholars say that that phrase just meant that he was seeking to find relief from the sun and the heat, uh, which we can totally understand here. And he was just trying to get in, into the shade, cool off, maybe take a nap, relax for a while. Either way, when he goes in to do this, he's going to take off his armor and take his sword off. He's going to be pretty vulnerable as he heads in, whether he's going to the bathroom or just going to take a nap. But coincidentally, Saul chooses to do that as he's going down coincidentally the right ravine and coincidentally has to go to the bathroom or take a break. Right when he's passing several caves, decides to go into the one cave that David and his men are hiding inside. That's coincidental. As he goes inside, he can't really see much because he's looking into the darkness. But David and his men are way in the back and they can see his silhouette and they're going, that's totally King Saul. And right here at this moment, David is in that twilight zone of God's will. He's got the opportunity because all the circumstances, this is pretty coincidental. And if he's trying to figure out the will of God, he's going, wow, this is, this is, I don't know if we're going to see this again. I mean, I saw her on the sidewalk and now she's right here in the class and, whoa, we're in the small... It's the same sort of thing. Everything is just adding up. (laughs) I'm sorry. It makes me think of Saul relieving himself the whole time I'm sitting here. (laughs) All morning I've been thinking that. And I I don't know, the fourth service I'm starting to break. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, As he's in there going... What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to figure out this, this right or wrong here? This is a moment like he had last weekend where he could have just seized it, taken control, gone with the natural impulse, looked at the circumstances and said, well, my circumstances dictate this. i not even considered God's Word. But in this case, he even knows that he's going to be king someday. So his position, his uniqueness, even suits the situation. So just by that and that, I mean, he's all the coincidences, and then he knows he's going to be king someday, and then um, this is what the men say to him in verse 4. His friends go, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Even his friends are going, this is what God was talking about. But this isn't actually quoting a direct word from God. They knew that David had been anointed, set apart by God to be king someday. And undoubtedly they'd heard of the conversation that he and Jonathan had had about how the enemies of David were just going to come under him at some point. So this was really just their interpretation that this was the will of God. And actually that phrase, this is the day the Lord spoke of, more accurately is translated today the lord is saying dot 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 so it was more like not this is what god spoke of when he said this it was more like oh today this god must mean this god must mean that you're supposed to kill saul because here he is look at all these coincidences god's totally delivered him to you It would be easy for us to think the same thing, maybe, in this situation. To get in, and all these coincidences start lining up, and we go, well, this has to be the will of God. And a lot of us do that with our circumstances. Or even we do it with our uniqueness. We just go, well, man, this feels right. This seems like something I'm well-suited for. I think this could be God's will for me. But there's the third component of determining God's will, and that is His Word and His principles. And so, if your circumstances are pointing a certain direction, and if your uniqueness is pointing a certain direction, and God's Word, it's not contradictory to God's Word, then go for it. Proceed with caution. But... If just one of those, and especially God's word, is somehow contradictory, then you need a heads up and maybe abort the whole thing. So what does David do? Check it out. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He just sneaks up, cuts off the corner, and pulls away. We'll see why in a minute. Afterward, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. In that moment, David referenced the principles, the the word of God, which says you don't take down... And authority that God has set apart and put in place. You don't murder someone. And so, yeah, circumstances pointing to God's will, yep. My uniqueness and my role to be king someday, yep, that works. What about God's word and his principles? Whoop, nope. And so, this becomes a big do not proceed. As David is trying to figure out, decipher what's God's will in this situation. All three of those have to be in place. It's kind of like this, you guys. It's kind of like if you were um, ever given the opportunity to go skydiving. Idea there, you just go up, you get in the plane and you jump out and you land on the little landing zone thing. And one day the pilot comes to you and says, you got total freedom to choose to go up skydiving today. And you're like, definitely, I'm going to go skydiving because I've been studying for so long. I've read every single book. I know all the ins and outs of skydiving. I've been practicing. I've been meeting with the instructor. I am ready to skydive. I got the whole suit. I got the MC Hammer pants and the goggles and I'm ready to go. This is going to be absolutely incredible. So much fun. I even have the coolest parachute ever. And you know what's even crazier? Last night while I was sleeping, I grew wings. If anybody was more suited for skydiving, it's me. I mean, I'm the man when it comes to skydiving. So you go up in the plane... And you're just about to jump out of the plane, but the plane gets a little bit rocky and you're like, wow, what's going on? You look out the window and down below, right over the landing zone where you're supposed to parachute down to, it's this massive dust storm. I mean, you can't even see a couple thousand feet below you. It's just so dusty. You can't even see the landing zone anymore. The pilot gets on the phone. What's going on down there? Yeah, you, we can see the dust storm. What else? What else? Oh, they moved a whole circus right into where you were going to land and they put the lion tamer ring right there on top of your landing zone. I mean, circumstances have totally changed at that point. Not a good idea to jump. You're ready for it physically. You're up in the air, but circumstances aren't right. What about another day? The pilot comes and he says, Totally your freedom to choose if you want to go up today and skydive. And you go, Okay. Because today it's absolutely beautiful. No more sandstorm or no more circus. But now, I mean, it's absolutely blue sky. You can see forever. It's just absolutely incredible out. The weather is perfect. Temperature is perfect. There's no wind. You can see where you need to land. And you're just about ready to go. You're up in the plane. You're looking out. You can see where you need to go. And then you're like, wait a minute. Actually, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I never even went to a class. I don't, I've never studied anything about skydiving. And I'm not dressed for it. i got board shorts and flip-flops. This isn't going to work. This is no good. My wings. I don't have any wings anymore. I even forgot my parachute. You're totally not ready. You're not prepared. You weren't designed to skydive in that moment. Would not be a good decision for you to jump. Or perhaps the worst case scenario. It's the most beautiful day ever outside. Temperature's perfect, no wind, you can see where you need to go. And you've studied like crazy, you've met with your instructor, you have all the proper gear, you've got your parachute, your wings have grown back double the size. I mean, you're set. And now it's perfect weather and you know what you're doing. But this day the pilot goes, nope. You can't go up today. It's not a good idea. Well, what do you mean? It's perfect weather outside, and I know what I'm doing. And the pilot goes, no, it's not a good idea. There is stuff that is going on up there that you can't see and can't understand. But I'm a pilot. I know about that stuff. If we go up, it's going to be bad news for you. And that's a big don't jump. But most of us, And certainly most people outside of these walls maybe err on the side of, well, circumstances seem to be adding up. And I seem like I enjoy this or I can do this pretty well. And we go for it, even though the pilot's going, no, this is going to be bad news if you do it. But David, in this case, seems to handle all three circumstances, his uniqueness, and the word and principles of God. And he taps into the sweet spot of his will, and it makes him step out in faith. Because in this case, it's actually going to be harder for him to do what God wants him to do just to go with the circumstance. If he had just done circumstantially all the coincidences that lined up, that points him toward killing Saul, well, then that's it. But I think that if David had gotten to the throne that way, maybe it would have been a week, maybe it would have been a couple years, I'm pretty sure that at some point he would have gone, I wonder if it was God's will for me to be in this, or if this was just my will. I wonder if this is really where he wanted me, or how he wanted me to go about this. Or if this was just my own device pushing for it. So Saul bails out of the cave. And David could have just ridden it out and hid and let Saul get away. But he doesn't do that. He takes it a step further. Look at what happens. Verse 8. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul. My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. This is amazing. He gets that this is not the will of God to murder the king. And so he lets Saul leave. And then he follows him out. And when he follows him out, he calls him, my lord, my king, and just drops down into this vulnerable position. I mean, that takes some faith. To get the word from God, you're not supposed to take matters into your own hands here. You're supposed to trust me and my word and my principles, even though it's going to be tough. David just takes that a step further, goes out boldly, and drops down in this vulnerable position before Saul. And listen to what David says. He said to Saul, "'Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? "'This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave.'" Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. He's going, see, here's the proof that I could have taken you out. But here's also the proof that I'm more interested in doing what God says in his word and his principles than I am just in adding up circumstances. Or adding up just my position to determine God's will. I'm more interested in God's will than my will. Here's the proof of it right here. This little corner of your robe. He says, Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. And then key verse here, verse 12. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. In that moment just says, may the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, we're just going to let God sort this out. This may have just been the worst decision I ever made if I'm looking out for my life, but I'm going to let God work that out. I'm not going to grab the side of the canoe. I'm going to let him control this moment. I'm going to trust that He knows what's better for my life and for your life than than I do. So I'm going to go with His will here. Verse 13, As the old saying goes, From evil doers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the King of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? And then again he says, May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. In that moment, he just says, Circumstances seem like it would have been God's will to kill you. My uniqueness, I'm going to be king to be. That seems like I got the position to take you out. But because it went contrary to God's word, I knew that it would not be God's will. And so I'm trusting God in a pretty big way to step out right now and take care of me. I'm trusting that He knows what's best. Let's see what Saul's response is. Verse 16, When David finished saying this, Saul chopped off David's head. (laughs) It doesn't say that. (laughs) But that's what he could have done. Circumstances looked like, man, David should have killed Saul. And he could have gone out and made this plea to Saul and Saul could have been, oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, you're an idiot. That's the last time you'll listen to God. But he didn't. Instead, God shows up and works in the heart of this wicked king. David, my son, he said, is that your voice? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, Saul said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. And in that moment, there is an amazing thing that goes on on in Saul's heart. As David correctly examines a situation where he was kind of in the twilight zone of God's will, what am I supposed to do here? And it got to the moment where he knew... The circumstances were pointing one way, his uniqueness was pointing one way, but God's word said something else, so that meant stop. I'm not quite sure where you're at and what you're thinking through or what you're going through. But maybe all these coincidences have been lining up. But it's contrary to the word of God on some way, shape, or form if you proceed. Then it's not God's will for you. Maybe you're feeling really strongly about something. You've never felt this way before. But it's still contrary to God's Word and His principles. It's not God's will for your life. But, if, again, circumstances are pretty cool, seems like a good fit, your heart's on board with it, and it's not contrary to Scripture, proceed with caution. He, I think David knew that maybe this was like a momentary lapse in heart for Saul. Because check out what happens, verse 22. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. David takes his man. I think he probably knew that, man, I just can't trust Saul. I've seen his track record so far. His heart seems to have changed here, but I don't know how long that's going to last. I'm going to take my man up to this really highly defendable place, a stronghold. And he's going to recoup. And he's going to dial into the word and the principles of God in this stronghold. Just kind of metaphorically, you guys, what's the stronghold of decision making for you. Where do you find your strength in making decisions? Is it just by trying to interpret circumstances? Is it just by trying to figure out, wow, this was coincidental, this must be the Word of God? Do you find the strength of making decisions for you and your own feelings or your own thoughts or your own talent or abilities or positions? Or do you find the stronghold of decision-making, deciphering, interpreting the will of God from the stronghold of this, from the stronghold of His Word and His principles? This is the most key factor in determining what God's will is. You guys, I'm not one of those like bullseye God's will sort of guys. I don't really believe that there, you know, there's just one person on the planet for you and there's one job that you're supposed to have, and I think there's a little bit of room in the context of God's will. So then how do you figure it out if circumstances seem right and it seems like something you'd enjoy and it's not contrary to his will? Here's one last piece that I think will just allow you to move from the twilight zone and into the sweet spot of God's will. Last verse here, Romans chapter 12. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts and Romans. Romans 12, is a pretty familiar verse to a lot of people. Romans chapter 12, go to verse 2. It says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In the pattern of this world, what this world does is it interprets what they're supposed to do by circumstances or what feels right to them. And it says, don't do that anymore. Instead, it says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't make decisions like everybody else does, like the world does, just by, all these coincidences that points that way, or by, well, it just feels right, or I'm good at that, so I think this must be what I should do. But in addition to that, you should be doing the determining of the will of God by this renewal of the transforming of your mind. This is a crucial factor. And the only way that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind is to dive into this is to really marinate your thoughts in the Word and the principles of God. Because, guys, this book right here, this is the only book that was not meant for information, but for transformation. The Bible wasn't meant just to be read for information. Oh, cool, that's interesting, that's awesome. It was supposed to be meant for transformation. Transformation. It was supposed to be meant that you would read this, that you would let, let it just kind of... you would It's like you're walking into a waterfall and it would just completely cover you and saturate and influence all of your decisions. It would influence your circumstances. It would influence your uniqueness. And that in the context of that, saturating yourself in the Word of God, that you would be able to think differently. You'd be able to see things differently. And your mind would be transformed into the mind of, of God. It's a godly mind. And that now then, as circumstances seem to change, and your uniqueness is pointing you in one direction, and God's Word is pointing you in another, that most important component of God's Word and His principles can reign supreme. But it won't ever do that unless you know God's Word. And you begin to marinate on it. It says when you start to do that, your mind will be transformed. And then it says then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When you check out circumstances and you go, Okay, that seems pretty coincidental and cool. And you check out your uniqueness and your heart and your feelings. You go, Okay, I'm on board with this. then you get to God's word and you can analyze what you're dealing with based on what God's word says and go okay it's contrary here so I can't do it or I don't see anything here that seems contrary I'm going to go ahead with it that I guarantee you it will be so hard to be lost in the twilight zone of God's will and instead I think day after day time after time you'll find yourself in the sweet spot do it let's pray Father, um, I just thank you that we can figure out what your will is. That your word is just chock full of instruction for us. And that it may not be as specific about whether I turn right or turn left or go to this school or that school. But it's a zoomed out sort of thing in the context of how your word and your principles can best be lived out in us and through us wherever we are and whatever we're doing I pray God for those in the room that are in the midst of making some pretty significant choices and decisions maybe they find themselves in that gray area that twilight zone of your will right now and I pray that they wouldn't just be interpreting coincidence or circumstances to try to figure out what you want pray that they wouldn't just be thinking about their own feelings or thoughts but they would constantly be bringing those back to the Word of God and then proceeding from there. Lord, we love you so much and just ask for your clear, clear voice every single moment of every day as we just try to figure out what you want us to do and not do. We love you. In Jesus' name. If the weather was absolutely perfect, crystal clear, no wind... And you had the right gear, you had the right instruction, you got your parachute, you got your wings, and then you got the call from the pilot. The pilot said, I can't wait for you to take this flight with me and take the jump. You should go for it. Once you get up in the sky, there's some freedom there about where you and God may go. But you can jump with confidence when you're matching the circumstances and your uniqueness with the word and principles of God. You really can do no wrong. You guys, I love you a lot. If there's something you need, just come grab me up front. Otherwise, have a great Fourth of July, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye.